Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington, and this week on Face the Nation, Donald Trump trounces Nikki Haley in South Carolina and an interview with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. The former president played for the cameras and the conservatives at a Washington gathering before polls closed yesterday sharpening his latest campaign line in which he likened himself to the late Alexei Navalny. I stand before you today not only as your past and hopefully future president, but as a proud political dissident. I am a dissident. Far-fetched as that comparison may be, consider this. His attempt to say that black voters were flocking to him because they related to the criminal charges against him. The mugshot, we've all seen the mugshot. And you know who embraced it more than anybody else? The black population. It's incredible. The Biden campaign called the remarks insulting, moronic, and racist. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley cited the comments as another reason why she's staying in the race. I don't believe Donald Trump can beat Joe Biden. Nearly every day, Trump drives people away. Our Robert Costa will be here with political analysis and news about Nikki Haley's next steps. Then, on to the international challenges sparking political turmoil here at home. Will backlash over President Biden's support of Israel's war in Gaza hurt him in Tuesday's Michigan primary? We'll talk to a key Democrat, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell. And as year three of Russia's war in Ukraine begins, we'll look at a new push in the House for a vote on critical foreign aid to arm the Ukrainians. We'll cover it all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. Yesterday's South Carolina Republican primary turned out as expected, with a big win for Donald Trump. Last night in Charleston, former governor and UN ambassador Nikki Haley put her best spin on the result. I'm gonna count it. I know 40% is not 50%. But I also know 40% is not some tiny group. As for the former president, his Friday night remarks at the Black Conservative Federation Gala in Columbia, South Carolina, continued to overshadow his victory. Black conservatives understand better than most that some of the greatest evils in our nation's history have come from corrupt systems that try to target and subjugate others to deny them their freedom and to deny them their rights. You understand that. I think that's why the black people are so much on my side now because they see what's happening to me happens to them. 
These lights are so bright in my eyes that I can't see too many people out there. But uh, I can only see the black ones. I can't see any white ones, you see? That's how far I've come. We begin with CBS News Chief Election and Campaign Correspondent Robert Costa, who joins us from Charleston. Bob, this was an open primary in South Carolina, uh, but just 3% of voters were black. Do Donald Trump's remarks about black Americans give the party any pause here? It's giving Nikki Haley a road ahead at this point, Margaret. She and her campaign believe there are many traditional Republicans across the country who are fed up, not only with former President Trump's legal problems, but his incendiary comments on race. And they believe that they, that could ostracize key voters across the country come November. That's why she's staying in right now, going to Michigan this week for that primary, staying in through Super Tuesday. But there is real worry that as Trump takes over the party and the Republican National Committee, there's no reckoning about how he's handling issues like race and immigration. How long can Nikki Haley stay in the race? As long as there's money. I've been talking to donors over the past 12 hours, and they say they're going to keep pouring money into her campaign and into her Super PAC. But at the same time, they know that Super Tuesday, come early March, that's going to be a real crossroads for her. Going past Super Tuesday, going to be very difficult in terms of organization and fundraising. And she has told reporters in recent days that she's not thinking beyond that at this point. Day to day. All right, Robert Costa, thank you. We turn now to the crisis in the Middle East and the war between Israel and Hamas. Joining us from Tel Aviv is Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Welcome back to Face the Nation, sir. Thank you. Good to be with you. Uh, Mr. Prime Minister, the U.S. is working on a hostage deal that President Biden has said would bring with it at least six weeks of calm. The intelligence chiefs met on Friday. Are we close to a deal? Well, I'm not sure of the exact duration, but I can tell you that we're all working on it. Uh, we want it. I want it because we want to liberate uh, the remaining hostages. We've already brought half of them back. And uh, I appreciate the effort, the combined effort of Israel, the United States, uh, to bring back the remaining hostages. I can't tell you if we'll have it, but uh, if Hamas goes down from its delusional claims and goes down, can bring them down to earth, then we'll have the progress that we all want. What specifically uh, is holding up the deal at this point? It reportedly, this would have 30 to 40 hostages, women, elderly, wounded, released in exchange for a few hundred Palestinian prisoners being released. Hamas started out with just crazy demands. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's uh, it's too soon to say if they're uh, if they've abandoned them. But if they they do abandon them and get into what you call the uh, the ballpark, they're not even in, in the city. Uh, they're on another planet. But if they come down to uh, a reasonable uh, 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 situation, then, yes, we'll have a hostage. I hope so. There are uh, at least six U.S. citizens among those being held by Hamas. For you, is the return of living hostages necessary and essential for you to declare victory in this war? I've set three war goals. The first is to uh, release the hostages. The second is to uh, destroy Hamas. And the third is to ensure that uh, Gaza does not pose a threat to Israel uh, in the future. Uh, And obviously the three are intertwined. They're achieved basically by our very effective and often heroic uh, military operation uh, and also by tough negotiations. Uh, We're combining the two and I hope uh, it it, uh, yields the result. But understand that unless we have total victory, we can't have peace. We can't leave Hamas in place. We can't leave a quarter of Hamas uh, battalions in uh, Rafa and say, mm-hmm. well, that's that's fine. On the issue of the hostages, as you know, time is of the essence here. So if this deal happens and there are six weeks of calm that go with it, does that provide an opening to end this war? Or will you still go into southern Gaza, into Rafa, regardless? Yeah, well, victory is within reach and you can't have victory until you uh, eliminate Hamas. Hamas How is a terrorist re- organization reach? that... Uh, once we begin the Rafah operation, the intense phase of the fighting is weeks away from completion. Not months, weeks away from completion. Uh, and that is, uh, we've already destroyed 18 out of the 24 Hamas uh, uh, terrorist battalions. So we, we have a few, and four of them are concentrated in Rafah. We can't leave the last Hamas stronghold uh, un- uh, uh, without taking care of it. Obviously, we have to do it. But understand, too, that I've asked the army 
to submit to me a double plan. First, to evacuate, to enable the evacuation of the Palestinian civilians in Gaza, and uh, obviously, second, to destroy the remaining Hamas battalions. That gets us a real, real distance uh, to, towards the completion of our of victory. And that uh, we're not going to give it up. If we have a deal, it'll be delayed somewhat, uh, but it'll happen. If we don't have a deal, we'll do it anyway. Uh, it has to be done because total victory is our goal and total victory is within reach, not months away, weeks away, once we begin the operation. Well, the White House says they need to see a credible and executable plan to protect civilians and the 1.4 million people who are sheltering in southern Gaza. This morning, the White House says they still have not seen such a plan and no major military operation should proceed without it. Have you approved the plans that you said you've asked for? Actually, uh, uh, Margaret, I'm going from here to uh, a meeting with the general staff where they're going to show me this dual plan, okay. a plan to evacuate uh, and a plan to uh, uh, dismantle those remaining battalions. So yes, we. Uh, by the way, we agree on this. I mean, we don't have to be prodded. It's uh, We're on the same page with the U.S. on this because uh, that's how we do it. The reason you have that population in Rafa is because we actually cleared them away from the other places, the zones, combat zones that we had. That's why they're there. So now there's room for them to go north of Rafa to the places that we've already uh, finished fighting in. That's, that's where you're going to move. That's what we're going to do. That's the plan, yes. to move 1.4 million people into northern Gaza. Can you guarantee that the IDF will not push? I didn't say push, northern Gaza. I said... Will not push. Sorry, I said go north ahead. of Rafah. Okay. I said north of Rafah. In the northern part of the Gaza Strip, we still have fighting going on. Right. But we, we are... That, that is important. It's, it's important to understand. Moving civilians out of a, an, a, a, an area that is going to be a combat zone is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Sure. And that's what Israel is going to do. Understood. But the IDF, can you guarantee that they won't push Palestinians out of Gaza and into Egypt? As you know, Egyptian officials have said, if you do that, you are putting at risk 46 years of peace. Look, uh, I think that uh, the Egyptians know very well that that's not our purpose and that won't be the result. And we're coordinating. We're talking to the Egyptians uh, all the time. So that's not I don't think that's an issue. The peace between Israel and Egypt to serve the interests of both countries and will continue to serve the interests of both countries. I don't think it's in, the, in any danger. You said that victory is within reach, but U.S. Intel says the IDF has only destroyed 30% of Hamas leadership and that the amount of, of tunnels that Hamas uses uh, have really only been tiny in terms of what has been destroyed by the IDF. There is growing distrust well, of you personally, sir. You know this in the U.S. Congress and within the Biden White House. When your closest ally is telling you things like this and telling you that you need to reconsider a strategy, isn't it worth considering? Look, I, I think that the U.S. Is, uh, agrees with us on the goal of destroying Hamas. Yes. And on the goal of uh, releasing the hostages. The decisions of how to do that are left with us and with me and the elected cabinet of Israel. Uh, and we're doing that. A lot of things that, the, that we were told by uh, the best of friends initially turned out not to be true. They said you can't enter the, the ground war without having uh, enormous complications. They said you cannot fight, uh, you can't enter Gaza City. Uh, you can't go into the tunnels. It'll be a, a terrible bloodbath. All of that turned out to be not true. Our soldiers are in the tunnel network. We don't have to take apart hundreds of kilometers of tunnels, we are taking apart the missile production factories that are underground, the command and control headquarters, the computers that are there, the money that is there, the weapons that are there, and the ammo that, that is there. We're doing that methodically. So we're, we're uh, doing the war. You can't substitute for the uh, Israeli military command, and we're doing it very responsibly. Uh, uh, the John Spencer, who's the head of urban warfare yeah. at West Point, says that no other army has gone to the lengths that Israel's army has gone to clear civilians out of harm's way, even though Hamas is sure. doing everything to keep them in harm's way. Oh, sure. We but the former head of Central American Command was on this program just a few weeks ago and said, basically, you have not articulated any specific end game here. So, but putting that aside, I want to come back to a few different things oh, well, you said. Wait a said. minute, Margaret. Margaret, hold on. You, you lob these, uh, uh, these grenades at me and you keep on moving. Well, first of all, you say uh, there's no uh, confidence in me. Well, the Israeli public has confidence in me. Last week, there were massive uh, the protests throughout Israel yesterday. Of course, we have protests. 
we, we have protests, Israel is a democracy, we've had protests for 30 years, but the Israeli people are united as never before. Last week, they voted 99 to nine in the Knesset for my proposal that mm -hmm. says that the way that we have to do two things, we have to win the war, have total victory, but also not have an international dictate of a Palestinian state on it shoved down our throats that would endanger uh, Israel. The people are overwhelmingly united on this. When is the last time we had 99 votes in the Knesset? Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, 30 years ago. So yeah. uh, the people are united. The policy is right. The people support it. Uh, and I intend to uh, take it to completion because that's what we have. We can't compromise with total victory because I'll tell you, we can't win the peace if we don't win the war, and we yeah. will win this war. One of the members of the Knesset, the former Israeli Prime Minister, Yair Lapid, said he asked the Americans about what you just said about a unilateral declaration of recognition of Palestinian state, and he said, you invented a threat that doesn't exist. There was not one official in the world that suggested unilateral recognition of the Palestinians. So, putting that aside, I want to... Yeah, actually, the Foreign Secretary of, uh, of Britain uh, just uh, spoke about it. Uh, there have been uh, many. Uh, well, this uh, is the U.S. I hope that's true. Okay. We've heard we've heard a lot of briefings coming from uh, uh, from the U.S. Uh, to that effect. So uh, I hope it's true. Yeah. And if it's true, then uh, uh, then that will uh, reinforce uh, the decision made by the government uh, by the uh, people of Israel through their elected representatives. Uh, and by the way, if people try to foist it on us, it would mm -hmm. be a terrible mistake because it would yep. be seen as a reward for terror after the most atrocious attack yep. uh, committed against the Jewish people since the Holocaust. So, so people of Israel are not gonna buy it. And, and if you want peace, you shouldn't go that route. Peace will be achieved through direct negotiations between the parties down the line. I don't think the Palestinians are ready for it, but when they are, that's the way it'll be achieved, not by international fiat. I wanna come back to something you said where you were raising questions about US intelligence and advice to you from the Biden administration where you said it was wrong. Um, you also said there was no bloodbath. I didn't say it was wrong. I said I said some good friends gave us uh, advice that turned out to be uh, that we uh, performed a lot better than they anticipated. Mm -hmm. And by the way, we performed a lot better than we anticipated. Well, on the no bloodbath, um, Doctors Without Borders went to the UN this week and said the civilian toll in Gaza is so high, they came up with a new term, wounded child no surviving family. Save the Children says there are over a thousand children who have lost a limb over these past days since the beginning of the October 7th war. What Hamas has done is horrific, but President Biden has said your actions, sir, are over the top. Aren't you concerned that Israel is creating more terrorists than it is killing? I think that any civilian casualty is a tragedy, and I don't say that uh, half-heartedly. Uh, I lost a brother in war. I myself was wounded uh, while releasing hostages uh, from a kidnapped, uh, from a hijacked plane. I've lost friends in battle. Uh, I, I know what it means to lose friends and what it means to lose family members. So uh, we don't have an argument there. But this war has been forced upon us uh, by a cynical enemy that not only targets our civilians, has raped, beheaded, uh, burnt babies alive, killed children in front of, of their parents and parents in front of their children. Uh, this uh, enemy not only uh, targets civilians, but hides behind uh, civilians, Palestinian civilians. Mm -hmm. So they're committing a double war crime. Uh, I have to come back and say that in terms of the, the way this battle is fought, there is no parallel to the difficulty that we face and John Spencer, the head of urban warfare at West Point, says that no other army has faced such a task. He, he gives one comparison. Yeah, that's not the he question gives most I asked, of the though. Comparison. Well, it is, but it, that's the answer. You can't say, oh, you, you uh, give immunity to the terrorists because they're hiding among civilians and uh, forcing civilians not to leave. So what do you do? You say, okay, we'll give you immunity. Hamas uh, 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 survives. We live to fight another, to commit mm -hmm. another massacre and another massacre. What would America do? Yeah. What would America do, Margaret, if okay. you faced the equivalent of 29 11s, 50,000 yes. Americans slaughtered in one day, 10,000 Americans, including mothers and children, held mm -hmm. hostage? Would you not be doing what Israel is doing? You'd be doing a hell of a lot more. And all Americans that I talk to nearly all say that. So Israel has gone to extraordinary lengths, calling up people, civilians, yeah. Palestinians in Gaza, telling them, Mr. leave your home, uh, sending pamphlets. Uh, we have done that effort. Hamas tries to keep them at yes. gunpoint. 
will clear them out of harm's way, will complete the job and achieve total victory, which is necessary to give a secure yes. future for Israel, a better future for Gaza, a better future for the Middle East, and a setback for the Iran terror axis. That's in all our interest. It's in America's interest, too. Mr. Prime Minister, I'm told we are out of time. Face the Nation will be back in one minute. We hope you'll stay with us. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. President Biden's refusal to call for a ceasefire in Gaza has been a source of considerable controversy in Michigan, which holds its primary on Tuesday. The state has a significant Arab and Muslim population. A good number are Democrats. Democratic Congresswoman Debbie Dingell joins us now from Southfield, Michigan. Welcome back to Face the Nation. Good morning, Margaret. Good to be with you. Uh, Congresswoman, I know there is this protest effort underway to vote uncommitted uh, among some Democrats to voice upset with the president. Will this damage him in a significant way? So I want to say to you, I know many of this community. I lived in Dearborn for many years with my husband. And there are two campaigns. One is an abandoned Biden campaign, but the other, the major campaign that has made over 100,000 calls, we'll see how many people vote on Tuesday, are trying to make sure the president hears them. They have so many family in Gaza. I cannot tell you how many people I know who have lost grandparents, some parents, aunts and uncles and cousins, families who have lost 20 or 40 members. I, the casework that I'm doing, the people, I don't sleep at night when you talk to them about how they don't have food, how they don't have any access to health care. They're drinking salt water and almost out of salt water, which isn't healthy. The sanitary conditions on the ground. There's, I mean, one woman, the aunt of somebody, goes to the bathroom once a day. There, a, a month ago, there was one toilet for every 220 people, one shower for every 15,000 people. It's a nightmare, and they're scared for their families, and they're worried. But I also have... When we get a ceasefire, they need the ceasefire. Then we sit down and, and, and talk. And there are a lot of things that Donald Trump have done who are pretty, which are pretty horrific. And when you go back and review them, we're going to have to remind people of what he said. I understand and the nuance of what you are saying there, that this is not political. This is personal for a lot of people. Um, on, on that note, we just heard from the Israeli prime minister that he is going into southern Gaza, whether President Biden likes it or not. You said you're working to help some of your constituents without family. Do you think the United States is doing enough to get Americans or families of Americans out of harm's way? So I'm going to first say that none of us know what's going on in all of these negotiations. We know that Bill Burns was over in the director of the CIA was in Paris. I know members of the National Security Council have been there. And I know that the president has directly told the prime minister that he is very concerned and he needs to be very careful. People need to understand that what is going on in Rafa right now, the population of Gaza is approximately 2.2 million people. 1.5 million of them have been forced into Rafa. We've already lost somewhere. You know, we can argue about the numbers. Nobody denies that 12,000 children have already died. You just heard the, the, uh, during that interview that the doctors without borders have talked about 1,000 
uh, children who have lost limbs, the number of children that don't have families, it would be outrageous for further innocent civilians to be killed. I know that the White House is working very closely with a number of other countries to make it clear that we cannot continue this loss of life. And I, I continue Does to the, talk to the White House every day, tell them how important it is, and they assure me that the president is very engaged in delivering very direct messages. But he has not rhetorically called for a ceasefire. They... It, it, he has, in private conversations, say he's working towards a temporary ceasefire. I, you know, I know yeah. we need a ceasefire. A temporary ceasefire, if you get the six-week ceasefire, right. then hopefully leads to... We also okay. need, the, it, we need the hostages to be returned. Understood. There are people hurting on both sides. Um, Congresswoman, you've been very clear, the humanitarian side of this conflict in terms of the political impact, was it a mistake for President Biden when he went to Michigan not to meet with any members from this particular community? Look, I, I do believe that he is going to need to do that at some point down the road. This community is pretty angry right now. Uh, look, I get protested. I had a town hall meeting this week and a number of people, and I think I've been one of the people that has been the most empathetic ep and has been working this issue really hard. I think he sent his team out. What, when he sent many of his team out, they developed relationships or connected with people that from both sides, I've heard that they've got ongoing conversations mm -hmm. uh, and that's got to continue. I mean, this is really, look, Michigan's a purple state. I want to yeah. make that clear. It's been a purple state as long as I've been doing presidential elections. This is a very important issue here, but there are going to be other issues too. This state's going to be purple from now until November. And I'll tell you one more thing, because... I am the person that fought 30 years to have a state like Michigan as one of the early primaries. I want to be talking about this issue now in February because it will matter in November and not on October 15th, which has happened too many times in previous presidential elections, yeah. that issues that matter in November aren't talked early. Is the concern about reproductive health care access enough to cancel out these negative headwinds? Look, we, Michigan had an unprecedented turnout two years ago when the issue was on the ballot. I, I'm, gonna I'm gonna be blunt, you know me, I am. We gotta get young people, we gotta get women, and we gotta go in the new union halls. And it's great that we've got the union presidents and the union organizations endorsing, but we've gotta go in those union halls and draw the comparison, remind people about what Donald Trump did and didn't do, he talked, didn't deliver, mm -hmm. and about what Joe Biden has delivered on. Women turning out is gonna be absolutely critical. And they thought that when they voted on this on the ballot last year, they were safe. And now we've seen what the Alabama court yeah. has done in terms of IVF. Now the Republicans are scared to death and all running out and saying they support IVF. You know what? They've never been someone who's tried to get pregnant. They've never had to live through all of this. And I think a lot of women are going to be very emotional about their woman's health mm -hmm. decisions should be made between them, their doctor, their faith, and their family. And the federal government's got no business in it. Congresswoman Dingell, thank, <clears throat> thank you for being direct, as you said. We're going to leave that conversation there and pick up another one uh, with Republican Brian Fitzpatrick and Democrat Jared Golden, uh, two congressmen who have proposed an alternative to the foreign aid bill that passed the Senate um, and was declared by the Speaker of the House to be dead on arrival. Do you have any confidence that there's a way to get Republican leadership to move on this? Uh, I do. Um, we have a, a bipartisan bill. It's the only one in the House. Uh, and as of Friday, we have um, uh, filed with the clerk uh, expedited consideration. Normally, um, any kind of discharge like that would take 30 days to even be considered ripe. We figured out a way with the parliamentarian to expedite that to a seven-day period. Just to be clear, this is to go around the Speaker of the House, who has refused to put a bill on the floor. Well, We're it's forcing him to consider. It's it's just a way to get a mechanism to get a bill to the floor. Um, and just to be clear about what we're trying to accomplish here, this is time sensitive. It's, it's existential. I just got back from Ukraine. Uh, Advika uh, fell in the past um, seven days. Uh, we lost uh, uh, Lake and Riley in the past seven days. 
And in the past seven days, 200 uh, families had to bury their kids because of fentanyl. So what our bill does is it combines border security with this foreign aid, both existential. And we are forcing this bill to the floor to make sure that everybody acts because, as uh, President Zelensky said, they have weeks and not months to to get reinforcements on the front lines. So you are trying to create an alternative to the bill that's about 60 billion. Yours is about 49 or so billion. Um, Congressman Golden, Golden here, one of the things that's not in this bill, though, is humanitarian aid for Israel and for Ukraine. That's a non-starter for a lot of Democrats. And you have a remain in Mexico border security policy here that forces migrants to wait outside the U.S. while their asylum claim is processed. How are you going to get fellow Democrats to get on board with this? Well, I think the the most important thing to remember here is that the votes are there to support Ukraine and our other allies, Israel, Taiwan. And I think that the votes are there on border security as well. You know, the Senate started with a bill. They had to boil it down to whatever could get 60 votes. The House needs to go through a very similar process. Brian and I are actually talking about having a more open debate on the House floor. Amendments should be in order. We need to find a way to get a deal that gets us to 218. I think a deal like that has to grow out of the middle and is unlikely to begin with a one-party solution. So are you saying within that then, if your bill is up for consideration, amendments like adding in things like humanitarian aid are possible? Potentially, yes. Although I think that we also have to set priorities. So at the end of the day, what are the most important crises that we have to deal with in the here and now uh, in the very short term? And I would uh, say that that would be securing our border and also helping avoid battlefield catastrophes in Ukraine. Congressman Fitzpatrick, in choosing to go this route, it is defying the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, who has said that, you know, he, he, I mean, he, he said the initial Senate bill was dead on arrival here. But then he is also seemingly speaking to the Democratic leader in the House. Are you concerned that you might be undercutting the opportunity to get that bigger package ultimately passed? Or is it indeed so dead on arrival, you need this backup plan? I don't think we're short-circuiting anything. We are adding a pressure point to make sure this gets done because we we cannot afford to wait here. And, you know, if the Senate bill were to make it to the floor, it would have, you know, a lot of Republican votes. You would Uh, vote for it. I would. Um, If our bill gets to the floor, it will also have a lot of votes. I mean, Jared can, can reflect the Democrat caucus perspective, but we think, you know, a super, you know, Supermajority, I think two-thirds of the House would support this. It is open to amendments. So our bare-bones language was just a vehicle to get to the floor. Mm-hmm. But what we're trying to do is to make sure that we do not waste another day. Because these are, I mean, Ukraine is in dire straits right now. And that's what I wanted to do. That's why we're doing this. This is actually to complement all the other com- um, um, conversations going on and a potential compromise that might ensue. Okay. Does the Democratic leader, Hakeem Jeffries, support what you're doing? You know, they currently are pushing for the Senate bill. Obviously, they have a discharge petition. What I would say is that discharge petition doesn't have any Republican support. What we have now is a bill with a discharge petition that is led by a Republican. This is just the procedural way to bypass leadership to get a vote. Correct. That's right. But you're not concerned, to borrow your phrase, that you're short-circuiting the bigger package. My concern is what is it going to take to get a bill to the floor that can enable the House of Representatives to take action on two key priorities. One, how do we get our own border under control? Two, how do we support our allies in their existential fights in Ukraine and in Israel? So we're also up against the deadline of this potential partial government shutdown March 1st. What is the timeline for what you're trying to do? And isn't the priority number one keeping the lights on? Absolutely. And maybe we hitch a ride on the CR with this, right? I mean, hopefully we can... Something this big, you think? But yeah, this is not very big. This is, I mean... This 50 is a billion. Pa- this is a pared down... Well, it's, it's military aid, which, by the way, 80% of which gets spent inside the United States. That's a big misnomer that's being perpetuated. Uh, you either believe that what we're doing for Ukraine, Israel, and, and, um, and Taiwan is an act of charity, or you believe it's an act of global security. Mm-hmm. We believe it's an act of global security. That's an investment. of that money gets spent inside the United States modernizing our own military um, in a way that we weren't prepared to do before. Congressman Patrick McHenry was with my colleague um, here on CBS just the other day, and he said, you can either die as speaker and worry about them taking you out or live every day as your last. He's trying to prod the Speaker of the House to be more decisive. Is your action a sign that you also think Speaker Johnson needs to be more decisive? 
Um, I think Mike's in a tough political spot right now and needs all the help he can get from all of his uh, allies in the House. So this is a mechanism. Because he could be ousted. That's always a risk. I mean, anytime you have a one-person motion to vacate, which, by the way, is never going to happen ever again, uh, we're not going to buy that line ever again because you see what, how it's manifested uh, on the floor of this cycle. It's basically created gridlock. We will never, ever agree to that ever again. Um, but we got to get through this cycle. We have time-sensitive existential challenges right now. Ukraine is weeks away from giving up significant ground, and we cannot allow Russia to win. So what we are doing is adding an additional pressure point to get a bill to the floor that has bipartisan support in the House. My conversations with my Senate colleagues, any bill that comes out of the House with bipartisan support, in all likelihood, will emerge out of the Senate. Even though this would not be what the Senate has already approved. We're going to open it up this to amendments. We're, okay. our, our vehicle is bare bones. It's Got going to be open up to amendments and let the House work its will. I think it's important to point out that yeah. the Senate would likely take up something that passes the House with a bipartisan vote. We will watch this um, important move, and we'll talk more about Ukraine ahead in the program. We'll be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Saturday marked two years since Russia launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. And we are joined now by the Ukrainian ambassador to the United States, Oksana Markarova. Good to have you back with us. Good morning, Margaret. It is a very solemn weekend. I know your president just acknowledged 31,000 Ukrainians have died in this fight. He also said that the Congress knows that your country is running out of funding and weaponry. Where are we right now? How close are we to having battlefield setbacks in a significant way? Thank you. Yes, two years of full-fledged war, 10 years of war, 31,000 just defenders. We don't even know how many civilians actually are dead until we liberate everything. And uh, we see on the battlefield that this war is still very winnable if we have supply of weapons and support, but also it's, it's the war that unfortunately can be lost if the support is not there and we run out. So uh, we really need it yesterday. And uh, I'm, I'm very glad that there have been very active discussions mm -hmm. all this time. Uh, and I really hope that uh, the House will come back this week yeah. and that we will see real solutions and we will see decisions taken. Well, you just heard from the two congressmen that they are now forcing consideration as soon as March the 7th for this aid to Ukraine. Your president said today, we need support within a month. Absolutely. And that support could be there within a month. Like, Is we military hear, support enough? Well, we need all the support. We need military support. We need budget support. We need humanitarian support because we need to sustain the effort on the battlefield, but elsewhere. We need to care for people. We need to teach people. We need to create bomb shelters in order to protect. It's all very much interrelated. But what we also heard, and we know it, that we do have strong bipartisan support. Uh, we have the votes, as uh, the two colleagues just said here. And also we know publicly from Speaker Johnson that he understands the, the need to win for all of us. It's, it's a global security play. And we heard the concerns, you know, of course, some concerns are not related to us that, that he voiced and some about the transparency and accountability. And we have provided a lot of information. So hopefully with the constant dialogue between the two parties, between the White House and Congress, we will see the decisions because, as we said for a number of times, we need it yesterday. The White House says that Russia had its first battlefield victory in a year within the past week in this eastern town in Ukraine because 
there aren't enough weapons and ammunition being provided. And, and Jake Sullivan pointed to Congress as the reason why. Is it that simple? Well, the, the war has always been about weapons. You know, we always had enough motivated Ukrainians to defend our homes, and we always needed more weapons at, at any given time. But of course, now the situation is critical. And I wouldn't call it a victory because we defended Avdiivka for 10 years mm -hmm. and Russians simply destroyed it. They did not take it over. They, they destroyed the whole town like they've done to so many. And they already have lost almost 400,000 people in Ukraine trying to invade us. So, uh, you know, we are winning this war we liberated 50%, we cleared the Black Sea. It's a critical, pivotal point now in which if we receive the support and weapons, we can liberate more. And we can not only liberate us, we can defend the free world because mm -hmm. it's not just about Ukraine. It's about Russia together with Iran and North Korea who are supplying missiles and all democracies together. Can we defend ourselves? And I really want to answer that question, yes. Yeah, but it is becoming an election year issue with the former president, Donald Trump, arguing against support for NATO, essentially. Uh, and he has a history with your president. Um, and obviously that first impeachment hearing where he, uh, that infamous phone call with President Zelensky. Are, are you looking at, at that really dictating what's possible right now? A presidential campaign is impacting what you are saying is the future of democracy in Europe. Well, any, any president of the United States or any candidate to the president is the president of this great country that is based on the values for which we are fighting on the battlefield. It's, as I said a number of times, the issue of supporting Ukraine, freedom, democracy, mm -hmm. the issue of standing together with a democratic ally is not a partisan issue. It's strongly bipartisan issue, and I'm sure it will be bipartisan. And I think the only competition there could yeah. be how to do it faster, how to win faster, how to show that democracies can stand their ground. I met this week um, three children from Ukraine who had been kidnapped by Russia as part of this state-sponsored program. It was very hard to hear what these children have been through. But your government says there are at least 30,000 other kids that you know of who were also taken. How is it possible that there is no coordinated international effort right now to bring these children home? This is not only a war crime and a tragedy, but something that is a blank in the international law. Uh, Russians actually claim they have hundreds of thousands of our children. 000. They said 700,000. So it can be as bad as that. And uh, literally, you know, it's, it's one of the first times after World War II and Nazis when they simply abduct children, put them up for speedy adoptions, torture them, indoctrinate them, put them through this uh, re-education camps. That's why we have created this uh, Bring Kids Back UA initiative. And that's why we are so glad that so many countries, and I'm so glad that U.S. has joined it, so we can actually formulate yeah. the mechanism of how to deal with it. And this is horrible. You know, Putin should mm -hmm. be in prison to, until the last of his life, at least for this crime. Just another thing that U.S. funding is used for. Um, Ambassador, thank you. Thank you very much. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. We're back with former White House Russia expert Fiona Hill. 
Welcome back. Thanks, Margaret. Um, yesterday, the body of opposition leader Alexei Navalny was handed over to his mother after she had asked for more than a week to have him released, his corpse released. Why do you think Vladimir Putin changed his mind and let it happen? I think he actually realized he'd gone far too far. Uh, he was starting to get protests even from Russian Orthodox priests. I mean, Putin prides himself on being this great religious leader uh, of extolling Christian values. So there were Russian Orthodox priests saying that uh, Putin was worse than Pontius Pilate in the Bible for denying, you know, the mother and the family, uh, the body, all kinds of celebrities. And of course, there was quite a bit of revulsion, you know, about this as well, because uh, Navalny's mother, a very brave woman, actually went onto YouTube, which can still be seen inside of Russia as well, and basically pointing out that um, Putin or the Kremlin or the um, prison authorities were all acting against the law by not handing over the body. They were violating you know, even their own norms and, um, and terms. And I think that really got a reaction because people will look at the mother you know, for who she is, the actual mother of someone um, who has died, not a political person until that moment. And I think it was really escalating uh, out, of, out of control in terms of uh, the message uh, that the Kremlin was trying to enforce. It was making it a very big deal. The question now will be about the funeral. Because, of course, what she said very openly was they were blackmailing her to have a secret funeral. Uh, so not uh, to have the traditional uh, Russian public viewing um, of the body and then um, a, a basically a commemoration at the graveside. So it's going to be a question now about what they uh, allow to happen next. Um, and whether he created a martyr. He did. He has created a martyr. Absolutely right. This past week, though, we, we saw not only the victory in eastern Ukraine, you saw the death, death of Alexei Navalny. You saw Russia take another American prisoner yep. because she donated 50 bucks to a Ukrainian that's charity. Right. He seems very emboldened right now. He is. And I mean, that's, um, you know, really fits into the whole theme of your discussions uh, this morning. Putin thinks that he's winning because we've blinked, because we don't seem to have the courage, either politically or uh, morally right now, uh, to stand up and support Ukraine in fending, um, and fending him off and fending Russia off. He's also basically a month away for his re-anointment, I can't really call it an election, as uh, the president of uh, Russia. And Putin's basically saying, you're going to have me until 2036, because he can have two more six-year terms. And I'm so uh, much in control of this situation that I can do literally whatever I like. He's trying to intimidate everyone and to basically remove any sense of hope whatsoever. And, you know, these targeting of, you know, a young woman um, who's given um, 50 bucks, I mean, that's actually fairly ridiculous. But the whole message of it is to say, I mean business, any kind of dissent, no matter how minor, will be punished with the full weight of the state behind it. Well, we're in the middle of an election in this country. Uh, you worked for Donald Trump when he was in office. He has continued to call himself a political dissident. He actually compared himself to Alexei Navalny. It's a lot it of It is a, lot a of form of Navalny. It is a form of... Uh, communism or fascism. He's talking about legal cases against him. He's talking about Russia quite a lot on the campaign trail again. What's going on? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, first of all, um, former President Trump has made it very clear that he admires Vladimir Putin. I mean, he continues, you know, to really extol him, despite all of the evidence, you know, to, uh, uh, to the contrary, uh, you know, from what his view should, uh, should be here, that uh, Putin is an avowed enemy at this particular point to the United States. I mean, he's openly declared war on the United States. He's taking American citizens hostage. Um, it's not just uh, the young woman who was recently taken, um, who's a dual citizen, but it's also Evan Gershkovitz from the Wall Street Journal. It's also Paul Whelan, uh, the, the former Marine who was taken years ago. President Trump actually ought to have a sense of responsibility about American citizens. And instead, you know, what he's doing in the most brazen and frankly shameful fashion is trying to suggest that the United States is like Putin's uh, Russia. I mean, since when have we been assassinating our opposition candidates in this country? Since when have presidents of the United States been wanting to sort of take out political opponents through poisoning or through imprisoning them in, you know, basically the equivalent of Arctic penal colonies? So what uh, President Trump is doing is degrading the United States. I just don't understand how people don't call him out for this. So we hear from Trump supporters at rallies, though, questions about aid to Ukraine. Is what he is talking, is he planting seeds that last, even if Joe Biden wins the election? 
Of course he is. And he's also, frankly, parroting the kind of propaganda that we've been having coming out of Russia for more than a decade now. Mm -hmm. I mean, since uh, Russia first made uh, moves uh, against uh, Ukraine, which goes back a considerable period of time uh, to uh, cutoffs of their gas back in uh, 2006, for example, the annexation of Crimea in 2014, uh, President Putin and the Kremlin have been a full-on propaganda effort, yeah. uh, basically against Ukraine. And frankly, uh, President Trump is starting to repeat some of the same things that the, the Russians have been saying too. Fiona Hill, it's always great to talk to you. We hope to have you back again soon. We'll be right back. Before we go today, we want to wish our friend and colleague Bob Schieffer a very happy 87th birthday. Thank you all for watching. Thank you, Bob. We'll see you all next week. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, Democratic Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, Republican Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick, Democratic Congressman Jared Golden, Ukraine's Ambassador to the U.S. Oksana Markarova, and former White House Russia expert Fiona Hill. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates in CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our CBS News streaming network on Sundays at 1.30, 4, 10 p.m. Eastern, and again at 4 a.m. the next morning. And it's available through our apps, CBS News and Paramount+. Plus. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts.